Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today we're looking at another book that I owned way, way, way back in the day. Uh, a little backstory behind this title, which is Creating Sacred Space with Feng Shui uh, by Karen Kingston. Way back when, I think I read this when I was about 13, 14, I did not get access to an actual bank account until I was 16 and that was when I started being able to buy things online. Up until that point, I was very much reliant on actual brick and mortar bookshops which were very expensive i think i only bought uh three actual wicker books from a bookshop in that time uh, and the rest of my very meager collection was made up of anything that i could get my hands on which seemed marginally related to the occult uh, which was usually from charity shops or from uh, village book sales bric-a-brac tables car boot sales that sort of thing this book i found at a village fair bookstall i think i paid about 50 pence for it maybe not even that uh, and I just bought it because sacred space was something that I'd obviously seen referred to in some of the books I've been reading about Wicca like Kate West's book uh, which we looked at last time and so I bought this I then proceeded to take this book with me on a camping holiday uh, where the only other book that I had with me was Great Expectations which for some reason at age 13 our English teacher thought it would be a great idea to set that as summer reading something that I had never dealt with before like in the, I don't know what it's like in the US or anywhere else but in the UK you do not get homework over the summer holiday the summer holiday is freedom you do not have any homework until you go back in September but for some reason this Canadian jackass decided that we should read Great Expectations so I was stuck in a tent with Great Expectations and this book and consequently I read this book a lot uh, so I've actually not had my original copy of it for some time. I had to repurchase this in order to reread it so I could review it. And right off the bat, I'm going to say there are some issues with cultural appropriation because obviously the whole concept of Feng Shui is not uh, one which is in the wheelhouse of, of the white author. And she does talk about visiting Bali and various other places. And some of her stories do have like more than a whiff of cultural appropriation about them as we'll go through. Uh, so do I think this is the best book that you could buy about Feng Shui? No, because you should probably buy a book from someone who like actually culturally practices that and therefore understands it on a much deeper level uh, than a, essentially someone who is toured parts of the world where it is practiced and then made a career writing books about it so um with that in mind uh we're going to dive into the actual content which to be honest a lot of it not about feng shui a lot of it is to do with just generally space clearing uh, which is something that i recognized as early on in my witching practice as uh sort of smudging that kind of thing that people were doing way back then I know before we knew that it was culturally appropriative or before any of us cared because you know racism uh, but it's a lot to do with like purifying your space and purifying it with sound smells different rituals and different practices and that really informed a lot of my early practice in how I created my own sacred space and how I conducted rituals and I thought it'd be really useful and interesting to look back at it now the first part of the book is called space clearing it's about basically this author's spiritual journey uh, but i'll call your attention to something on page 10 which i just marked with the word yikes and it says after i've been doing all of this for 10 years a friend of mine put a book under my nose which was a huge illustrated volume containing a chapter on something i'd never heard of called feng shui he said to me look at this the chinese were onto all this stuff about three thousand years before you 
I read the chapter with interest, but most of it was oriental gobbledygook. So that's broadly why I would put this more in the wheelhouse of cultural appropriation rather than appreciation, because it does seem like at various points in the book, and here it is most obvious, uh, the author is looking on what she does as being better, superior, more refined to like the original culture from which she is stealing, essentially. Uh, so keep that in mind when I'm talking about the book, that it does obviously have this massive issue in it, and I'm not blind to that by any means, but I do want to look through it at what was important to me when I first read it as a wee youngster. On page 12 she writes, The name Feng Shui originates in China, but over the years I have discovered that every culture in the world has a form of Feng Shui, and also the branch of Feng Shui concerned with clearing and consecrating spaces, which I call space clearing. Um, she says this, but she doesn't really go into any detail about what other cultures have this. Obviously you could call like modern witchcraft to be one of these that is concerned with clearing and consecrating spaces, but she doesn't really refer to any form of, uh, of European practice it's very centered on china and on bali so um there's very little sort of proof of research done elsewhere and it is not really brought into the book the author then goes on to write about her experiences of bali in a section called bali a glimpse into another world and talks about the the different cultures and rites that she's experienced there one that i found quite interesting on page 25 is the description of a ritual that has been updated for modern times, uh, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but it's apparently held every two thousand, uh, every 210 years. And traditionally, it says, offerings are made on this day to metal weapons of war. Now, their warring days are over. The Balinese have adapted the ceremony to current times, so now they take their metal cars, motorbikes and trucks to the local temple to be blessed. The radiator grills and wind mirrors are adorned with intricate offerings made from plaited coconut leaves, which flap in the wind until they finally blow away. Offerings are also made to other pieces of iron equipment, such as computers. That was an interesting idea to me at the time, and still is now, this updating of rights to talk about uh, modern practices and modern concerns, uh, which is something I talk about every time I mention the Sabbath cycle, is I'm not a farmer, and therefore... I'm not really connected to like the sowing and the reaping and the harvest but what we tend to focus on as modern people is the weather uh, and how much we enjoy the weather and also in the summer we tend to have a lot of free time either because of summer holidays as children or because that is when we would take our vacation away from our jobs for a week or two so that's something that you can focus on in terms of the cycle uh, you know and returning to warm weather you don't really have to think of imbol as like oh you know life is coming back to the land because that's not how we make our living but you can look at it as ah it's now light when i drag my ass out of bed to go to work and that's nice. So again, I, I found that updating to be quite interesting. Just to jump in with another potentially pro uh, problematic statement on page 30, uh, she says, Bali is also one island, perhaps the only one in the world, where none of the women work as prostitutes. They simply will not do it. There are prostitutes on the island, but they come from other Indonesian islands, never from Bali itself. You really could call Bali the purification centre of the planet. It's obviously problematic for a huge number of reasons, not least that it makes out that sex workers are somehow inherently dirty and in need of purification. Uh, so be warned if you decide to go and read this book, because there is some good stuff in there that you can dig out and use in your own practice. But there's also a lot of this type of crap, which you're probably going to want to draw a big red circle around and go, oof. Now, what really got to me about this book when I first read it was talking about how energy moves and how we as humans 
relates to energy in the atmosphere and how when you go into a circle and purify it and conduct a ritual, you can feel like the vibe being raised. You can feel that energy becoming purer, more refined. And that's really what chapter four is all about. It's called What is Space Clearing? And it talks about something called the astral light, which is like the layers of different kinds of energy. Astral light being uh, the term for that, I guess. Uh, and it talks about how to rarefy that energy and how to purify it and get the best results from your own environment. On page 37, she writes, everyone creates a certain amount of psychic gunge on a daily basis, which leaves a residue in the astral light of their homes. In the same way as everyday living creates cleaning and tidying, which needs to be done on a physical level. As Jane Alexander so succinctly put it in her article about space clearing in the Daily Mail in 1994, most of us are probably living in the psychic equivalent of a rubbish dump. So this was the first book that really taught me about cleansing your environment and how you can do that spiritually as well as physically and the kind of idea that there is psychic baggage that just gets dumped everywhere in your living space and needs to be removed. In fact one thing the book does really well is explaining the energy that is connected to different things. It talks about energy when someone has died in a place, energy from unwanted gifts. And this is something that still sticks with me in my daily life, is that the book talks about how when you look at an unwanted gift, it weighs your energy down because you're being forced to share your space with something that you don't want to look at and that you don't want in your life. So the best thing you could do is get rid of it. And this is something I still do, probably much to the annoyance of friends and family, is that if I get something that isn't for me or something that I don't really like that much, I will just get rid of it. And I try not to do it in such a way that that offends people. I just generally don't tell them when that happens. But it is quite freeing to not have to just have all of this like baggage and stuff weighing you down when you don't need it. And then we go into a chapter called Clearing Clutter, fittingly, which talks about basically a lot of things that I recognised from Marie Kondo's book, which I recently listened to, on Borrowbox, which I encourage you to download if you haven't already, but it talks about clearing clutter and how clutter creates stuck energy, and I think this is kind of a universal concept, uh, which most people agree that when things aren't cluttered, you can flow through that space physically more easily, and therefore energy would as well. She writes on page 49 and 50, healthy energy is moving energy, and then later down the page, most people who have lots of clutter say they can't find the energy to begin to clear it. They constantly feel tired. This is because everything you own is connected to you by strands of energy. When you live surrounded by clutter, it is like dragging the ball and chain of your past around with you everywhere you go. No wonder you feel tired. So, Either you can literally believe that there's like a spider web of energy connecting you to everything in your immediate vicinity, or you can kind of interpret this as you're always surrounded by old memories, old things that you regret spending money on, things that are broken and that you haven't fixed yet, things that need tidying, things that you never wanted in your life anyway, things that remind you of a bad deal you got from a retailer. It goes on and on and on and obviously if you're surrounded by that all the time it can be quite wearing. Sometimes as someone who struggles with depression I've looked at my surroundings and just thought oh I can't live in the middle of all this stuff and I can't begin to get the strength to go through it all and tidy it out. So this very much impacted me and this is something that I do a lot is that when I have a big clean and tidy of my room bags and bags and bags of donations will come out. I've currently got about five black rubbish sacks of stuff waiting to go to the charity shops when 
they reopen after the coronavirus thing just becomes a lot more manageable uh, and I have a lot of stuff that I obviously sell on eBay big eBay seller because if I get something and specifically in like a, a mystery box or as a gift that I feel like oh I, I wish I hadn't spent the money on that I have adopted a philosophy that money I have now is worth a lot more than money I used to have so if for example I paid £30 for a pair of shoes which I really liked at the time and then in wearing them once I was like oh actually I hate the way these look on my feet they're really uncomfortable I never want to wear these again I will happily sell those for less than I paid for it because the money I have now is worth more than money I used to have but don't have anymore that has saved me from having to deal with a lot of stuff around that I just don't want to look at anymore because I feel like I wasted money on it the author does extend this to your colon on page 69 which is hilarious uh, it talks about like clearing out your colon and doing special herbal cleanses which is one of the more far out ideas in the book there are many far out ideas in the book which to do with like microwaves and cell phones and you know electromagnetic waves that are slowly poisoning you which I don't necessarily get on board with but the sentiment is good and I agree with that on page 75 she talks about the preparation for space clearing. Space clearing for her is not just wandering around with smoking sage leaves or ringing a bell and then it's done in like four minutes flat. It's like a whole process that takes time and it's what led to me doing more involved purification rituals and purification practices in my own space. But on page 75 she said, let your feelings be your guide. If you feel any fear or apprehension, your intuition will be alerting you to the fact that you may be taking on too much. If you decide to space clear your own home or the home of a relative or friend and you don't feel quite right about it, listen to that feeling. It means that's not a space you can clear yourself. You need to get help with it or not do it at all. However, it very rarely happens like that. Most places are fine. I really like that idea of listening to your intuition and knowing when you're picking a battle that you can't fight. Uh, there's a lot of sort of beginner books on witchcraft and wicker which seem to think that you know you can tackle everything with sage and a quartz crystal but there's a lot of places which are just bogged down in a huge amount of like bad energy left over or just a lot of just bad stuff has happened there or it may be something that you are not really equipped to deal with and the fact that it's telling you to listen to your intuition is something that I really value as well and I've talked about like uh, using intuition before. On page 79 we get another kind of weird uh, section which is about blood and people not being allowed in temples with like open wounds or particularly as this extract, extract relates to menstruation. Uh, so it says on page 79 another completely different reason why menstruating women in particular are not allowed into temples is because they are not able to handle the high levels of energy in temples while their bodies are involved in the monthly process of internal cleansing. All their energies are turned inwards and this is a time when their life force is at its lowest ebb. Women lose life force energy through menstruation in the same way men do through ejaculation. So that's kind of an interesting idea. There's sort of like tends to be this view that it's like Judeo-Christian is like Ugh, menstruation Ugh, unclean and then for witches have to be pro-power and they like obviously use that menstrual blood in various different ways uh, in, in sort of power in terms of using its power for ritual but there's also this kind of middle road which I found an interesting point of view even if it's not one that I really share the situation is a period of internal cleansing and not when you should be undertaking other works that require you to direct energy outwards uh, which is definitely an interesting concept and not one I'd seen elsewhere on page 91 there is an exercise to sensitize your hands and I definitely did this 
couple of times when I was a lot younger and, and just learning how to sense energy. A lot of books will have you do that one where you rub your hands together really hard and then you feel the energy generated by the friction as heat and tingling. This is not that exercise but it involves holding your hands out, palms up, until you feel them begin to sort of tingle and that's a sensitivity apparently to your own electromagnetic or personal energy and then you can use this to create a ball between your hands and slowly expand it to be a larger ball and just sensing that energy and it's all about going around and being able to sense that energy with your hands as it comes off other objects to help you direct your space clearing that exercise alone is probably worth the two pounds that it will cost you to buy this book on ebay because it's quite old now uh, it's a really good exercise and one that I'm definitely going to be copying into my book of shadows in case I forget it again uh, but it, it's a really good one not just for learning about energy and how to sense it but it's also a way she has of turning on her hands for when she is about to go and sense things and she says that you can tie this to a specific like gesture so that after a while of practice you can always be ready to sensitize your hands for working and that just seems like a good thing to put in place especially if we're going to be doing any kind of readings or sensing uh, around a place for problems or difficult areas that might need cleansing. There are then whole sections about how to purify spaces and we go through different methods of space clearing like clapping into corners, the specific ways to do that and to, to move energy and then chapter eight is just purification by sound and the whole chapter is all about clapping bells drumming all these different ways of of purifying spaces it really goes into depth about that so again this was the first book that i'd ever read that really focused on purification as more than just like a two-page section in a book that was getting you towards magic this really focuses on purification and if you're looking for a book that teaches you a lot of different methods to purify space and a lot about theories about how that would work this is definitely a pretty good one to look at it's definitely the best one that i have read personally uh, on this like specific devoted topic after this is chapter nine purification by earth water air and fire this is probably the most useful chapter for anyone practicing um wicker or something akin to it which uses the four elements it breaks down the elements into the, the different ways in which you can use them for purification for example earth utilizes flowers but also stones sequins salt crystals uh, that goes on for a while there's lots of different types of waters in the water section so uh, purifying water which is like uh, naturally occurring holy water and how to make your own holy water uh, storing it, using it, cleansing objects with it, using seawater, spraying water. One part that I found really interesting on 143 was about your nighttime glass of water and how she suggests putting a glass of water by your bed to absorb negativity during the night. And it's really weird because sometimes I take glasses of water to bed with me and then the next morning they always taste like kind of flat and stale, which I'd always just thought was like that's what happens to water when it hasn't just come out of the tap but now I think about it I've also had like bottles of water that I've like left in my bag from one day to another and they haven't tasted the same so there might be something to that it also goes into purifying baths different kinds of baths air is all about incense obviously but also essential oils and uh, sage smoke as well chapter 10 is purification by intention light and love uh, which is more about I guess using mental facilities rather than just using 
uh, physical things like flowers and stones. And then part three is deeper levels of creating sacred space. So we're going even deeper than just cleansing your general area. What I found interesting about this section is the section of making things sacred. On page 170, it says, Stuart Wilde, a prolific and charismatic author and metaphysical teacher, has a lovely way of putting it in his book, The Secrets of Life. He has a passage entitled On Making Life Sacred. And the quoted section is this. How does something become sacred? It becomes sacred by people saying, this is sacred. There is no other way. So St Matilda's toenail in a box is just that until someone says, this relic is holy and special. So how do you make your life sacred? You say this is sacred and you treat it that way. And then uh, the author of this book, Karen, uh, Karen Kingston, goes on to comment. You can make things sacred and bond with things and love them and enjoy them and your life will be all the richer for it. I'm a great one for making things special, but the trick to it is doing it without attachment. You can have a special crystal, but realise you can never own it. It belongs to the planet. You can use it while you're in a physical body. You can even bequeath it to someone after you die. But ultimately, it will return to the place... But ultimately, it will return to the planet from whence it came, just as you will return to spirit from whence you came. I really like the idea of the fact that we kind of, as witches, and we're following, to a lot of extent, a, a new spiritual or religious path. We don't have things that have previously been sacred. So to be able to just say this is sacred and to dedicate things in that way is quite a powerful thing. And I think it is right. The more you revere something, the more sacred it becomes. But also the idea about attachment speaks to a lot of the obsession with like baubles and collecting like crystals and candles and herbs, from which I am by no means exempt because I have a huge collection now. Um, but realising that those things are transient and not permanently sacred in that way. Will those things still be sacred after I'm gone? No, but they're sacred now because I am using them. The latter sections of the book deal with like electromagnetic and geomagnetic forces, um, sort of similar to ley lines, I guess, but generated by the electromagnetic equipment that we use all the time, like televisions, mobile phones, etc, etc. All of this seemed a little bit far out to me, and I wasn't really engaging it with it that much. But then we get into turning your home into a manifesting machine, and it talks about how to move things around in your home. And I think a lot of witches will recognise this. A lot of people, for example, have read that you put specific things under your doormat so that uh, prosperity is brought into your home, all witches, I think, know about mirrors and using them to reflect bad stuff away from you. So these are concepts that we're really familiar with. And uh, the book just expands upon them and gives interesting feng shui related ways in which you can map out your home uh, if you desire to. And if you believe in this sort of thing to find out which areas of it are related to, for example, relationships or prosperity and how you can cleanse those areas and then put different things in them and utilise them in new ways to draw things into your life. So there's a magical aspect to that there. Overall, the book does have a lot of problems and there's a lot of stuff in there that which I don't necessarily agree with and which I don't necessarily believe in. But when I was reading it as like I was first starting it out and it was the only thing available to me, it did give me a huge amount of ideas in terms of how to set up sacred space, how to purify my space how to dedicate it and make it special and it did really work for me uh, the things that I learned from this book about uh, clapping out uh, bad energy about bringing in good energy things like that have always stuck with me and are still part of the things that I practice 
and I wanted to review it not just because it's a book that I obviously read and got a huge amount from but just to kind of showcase the fact that just because a book isn't called the big bad book of witchcraft doesn't mean it's not relevant to witches and doesn't mean that it doesn't have anything to teach you even if you have no interest in feng shui even if the whole idea of electromagnetic energy coming out of a television to get you seems like a weird idea there's still little gems and little bits of information that you can read and think oh that really resonates with me even in books that are really old and about things that aren't even to do with what you're interested in uh, so I would advise everyone if you're like I was back then and you didn't have access to online shopping although I feel like a lot of people do now or if you don't have a lot of money you can still go out to charity shops to book sales even like if you're going around like a national trust property they have the, those like little book stall things for some reason they usually have usually in a stable somewhere i've found some great books at those uh, about like not even witchcraft but about different spiritualities and i've been so bored on holiday away from all of my stuff all of my trappings and trinkets and things uh, and unattached to all of that stuff that I've picked them up and read them and found some pretty interesting concepts and interesting ideas to think about and to incorporate into my practice so that was today's lesson <laughs> and uh, if you have any other books that are like this or books that focus specifically on one aspect of magic like obviously this focuses on cleansing and things like that are there whole books out there that are about grounding but like call it something different are there whole books out there about like astral travel which call it something different and relate it to different things let me know i'm re be really interested in finding out about that and if you too read this book when it came out or you know since then i think this was published in 1996 when i was five i think yes <laughs> so if you if you too have read this book let me know what you think of it and get in touch in any of the usual ways and in the meantime i'll see you in the next one